Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Street. I love the smell of night come in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want them to gain another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Roughriders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Stop it. Just stop it. Not the show. Just stop it. This is my first year being the voice of a Canadian Football League franchise. The anchor franchise in the CFL. Yes, the Bombers are on route to their third Grey Cup in a row. Everybody's basically giving it to them. They're promote. They're bragging. They've got the best fan base. Well, yes, for the first time in their history, they led the league in attendance, which is hilarious because they've been the best team in the league the last two years. So where were your greatest fans in the world then? But that's another story for another time. So everything goes on this year with the Rough Riders. Got to go down south, see the, or down east and see the, uh, the eastern coast there. Got to hel- go to Halifax. That was great. We had the flu game. We had the COVID, uh, outbreak. We had Garrett Marino, the racist stuff, a helmet throwing thing. Um, Cody, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm hurt. They don't want me. They abandoned me. Um, we got three coaches fired. <laughs> And then I got, so I got this, like the other people who get the vote, I get a vote on the, the, the award nominees and the all-stars. Okay. And so, uh, I, I didn't do it last week. Got a reminder from Lucas Barrett at the head office. Hey, can you please? And it wasn't just like a private message. It was a message probably to those that didn't vote yet. Can you please do it? So I did it. Stopping when I'm coming home from Calgary driving on Sunday. I had to get it in by 8 Eastern time. And I stop in various towns, vote a little bit, vote a little bit, because you don't drive and text. Vote a little bit and send my submission in. And then I see today the joke of all jokes. Almost every All-Star Award in the East, which I didn't vote on, I voted on the West, goes to Argonauts, including Andrew Harris. Andrew Harris? We're talking about Andrew Harris this year. Not Andrew Harris last year or the year before or in 2018. The guy who only played eight games, who tore his pec muscle. Get out of here. Mario Elford is the Western nominee for special teams player of the year, which I voted in his favor. And I voted for him as an all-star. He's not an all-star. He is not the Western all-star. It's Janarian Grant. And I hear some of these broadcasters, well, because, uh, it's because he plays on a better team. Listen, just because your team has a better record, that should factor very little into individual awards. Okay, so there's one. Darnell Sankey has 120 tackles, an interception, a couple special teams tackles, I think a couple of quarterback sacks. 120 tackles. 
And he is not an all-star. First of all, he gets ripped off as defensive player of the year. goes to Sean Lemon. Oh, because he got sex and he's on a better team. Really? We'll get to that in a second. That's very interesting, that argument. So Darnell Sankey is not my all-star linebacker. I picked Darnell Sankey and Cam Judge. Judge got one because he had a great year. (laughs) Adam Big Hill gets it. Great player. Great resume. Just an okay year. He had 72 tackles. Give me a break. Somebody, uh, These clowns either who vote either don't watch any of the games, are drunk, or don't have a clue. Crazy, man. So, so there you go. Big Hill gets, a, gets the nomination. And check this out. Chandler Worthy, who is the Eastern Special Teams uh, nominee for Special Teams Award winner of the year, he doesn't get the All-Star either. It's that Adabobe, Adabobe or whatever, the, 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 the special teamer out of Toronto gets the All-Star. Are you kidding me? What are we talking about here? Malik Henry's not an all-star. He has like an all-star year for Calgary, their best receiver. He's not an all-star. What? And I love Kean Schaefer Baker. I do, and I'm glad he got the award. He's the only Rough Rider all-star. But he shouldn't have been ahead of Malik Henry. I didn't take him ahead of Malik Henry. He was you had to get five receivers you picked. He was my sixth. What? And and the Calgary Stampeders gave up like eight. 17 or eight, 17 sacks in 18 games. It was like one a game or less than one a game. And not one of their dudes was an all-star on the offensive line. Okay, so this is what I mean by stop it. Just stop it. Do If the CFL's listening, and I know they are, they listen to the show, because I've got the emails, don't send me a ballot next year. I don't want to vote. I really don't want to vote. This is farcical. It's a joke. What an embarrassment. Don't. Don't waste my time. Why did I stop in Brooks and Medicine Hat and Swift Current to fill out my ballot? Why should I take my time? Give me a break. Get out of here. Anyway, this show's brought to you by Spreads.ca. You can text in all your thoughts, 936-6262. Our text line powered by Capital Ford Lincoln. Let's get to the Western Pizza Hotline now. All right, here with veteran reporter Jeff Hamilton in Winnipeg. Does that make you feel old when I say veteran? I was just thinking it's like, uh, not really. It feels nice, but at the same time, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't feel all that long ago that I was a rookie, but veteran sounds nice. So so when were you a rookie? How long have you been doing that? You know what? You mentioned it, 10 years. So it's been 10 years now. I think I had my 10-year anniversary, 8-8 eight, eight at the Winnipeg Free Press in April, but 10 since I've been been doing things. CBC before that and the last 8 at, uh, at the Winnipeg Free Press. It's awesome, man. And you do a great job covering a number of sports. We'll get to the CFL last. I'm almost football talked out here in Regina with everything going on with the Rough Riders, <laughs> as you can imagine. Assess the Jets for me. Obviously, they're 5-3-1, and one, but I think uh, it starts and ends in net, doesn't it? Absolutely, and it's been like that for really since Connor Hellbuck's become on the scene. And, and you talk about all talked out about football over there. Well, hockey's been front and center, even with the Bombers, you know, edging here around uh, playoffs and going for that third straight Great Cup. But uh, fascinating situation with Winnipeg. They're five three and one, as you mentioned, and up until last night, I think Dallas took uh, took two points ahead of them, but they were tied for first place in a very competitive Central Division, and all the talk was. 
you'd, you'd think they were in last place. Hmm. Um, just given, you know, just given, you know, I was on this recent road trip. I just got back from Vegas uh, yesterday. So they had three games in um, LA and then, then that new game in Tempe uh, and then in new mullet arena. So that was an interesting experience. And then wrapping things up with Vegas. Well, they took five out of six points, but um, had you, had you looked at the stat sheet, at least in the first 20 minutes of each game, you think they, you, did, you wouldn't think they'd be leaving with uh, more wins than, than losses. And really their only loss was that overtime loss to Vegas but the fact of the matter is is the big storyline for Winnipeg heading into this year was going to be the Rick Bonus effect obviously anyone who's been following right. the Jets knows Rick Bonus has been out for every single game except for one and and so he wants them to play this new defensive style aggressive game um, but they just haven't been doing it but they've been reverting back to their old style you know that being freelance and coming from behind and all that stuff and have pulled out victories almost rabbits out of a hat but it hasn't been the, it hasn't been the way they've been doing it's just they don't really ask you how much, how many, it's uh, how many wins you can get. Although Rick wasn't happy when he addressed uh, the situation with the reporters and his team, wasn't he? He was mad. Well, that's and, and that's the big difference, right? I mean, so many times we'd see that kind of style of play, and and uh, and the Jets would you know squeeze one out, and Paul Maurice would come out and say, "I really like that game," even in the losses. Whereas Rick Bonus, it's been it's been quite refreshing him coming in and challenging the the top end players. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, he they, they got back to work yesterday. Uh, Rick Bonus rejoined the team and. The first thing he first thing he did was start spitting bullets about how he needs to see a more you know he doesn't like the emotion. He, not only does he not like the style in which they're playing, he doesn't he doesn't like the level of emotion in which they're playing with. So you know again at five three and one, it's a good it's a good situation standing wise. Um, but I think this team still has a lot of work to do to uh, you know in order to sustain that success over an eighty two game season. And you got the original six team coming in here tomorrow, the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Okay, you were at Mullet Arena. The first game at Mullet Arena. Uh, Jeff Hamilton, you cover a lot of sports, including our beloved CFL. If this happened in the CFL, everybody would be calling the CFL a ham and agar league, a bush league. Look at these clowns. And the NHL somehow, I don't know if they dance around it, but uh, I guess, hey, it's a cool vibe. You get to be close to NHL guys, but that's a black mark, isn't it? Absolutely, and I wrote a column, Ballsy, about just that on Saturday. It's the, it's you know what, it, it's a un, it, as much as it's a unique and incredible experience, and there's no doubt it is. I mean, is it, we're talking about a five thousand seat arena that has that has that college feel, right? It's not just the fact that that's only you know one third of most of most arenas, uh, if that. It's it's built like college, where the players are almost on top of of the ice, and so you know, as, as someone who got to, you know, someone got to witness the first regular season game and, and what's supposed to be their home for minimum three years. It really is a cool experience, but to your point, Ballsy, absolute black eye on the NHL. I mean, the CFL is one thing. You're, you know, the, the NHL likes to think they're part of the big four, obviously, with Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL. If any of those franchises or any of those uh, sports organizations did what the NHL is doing right now, they would be la- they'd be the laughing stock of the group, and that's ultimately what the NHL is and it's, it's a really it's a really interesting situation because as, as we kind of know NHL players are the most buttoned up in professional sports you know they, they don't right. you know they're not quick to share their opinions and all that and so there's there's an honest effort to kind of 
almost ignore what's going on in, in, in Arizona. So players have, you know, kind of re- resisted from sharing. But I'll tell you, you know, if you could, their body language when we were interviewing, you know, whether it was members of the Winnipeg Jets or, or the Coyotes, um, their body language told it all. I mean, this is, this is embarrassing. It's, it's, you know, it's, 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 there's still going to be some growing pains there, but I know people don't love the media beef. It's the least tastiest, but we're, we're set up <laughs> in, 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 in the standing room area only. Like there's fans in front of us that if, if when an exciting thing develops in the game, they stand up and you can't even see. Like it's just, it's just this, like again, there's, there's some growing pains. There's certainly going to be, um, Jeff, you know, what do they do? What, what, what do they do in there? It's unworkable. That thing is like we, what we're beating a dead horse there in Arizona. Come on. Well, and the thing is, Baldy, is I think, you know, I don't know what the Coyotes have on Gary Bettman or what Gary Bettman, you know, needs to do here, but this seems to be his, you know, I think he's, this is the hill he's going to die on. I mean, this is, this is the last, a lasting legacy in the desert is something that he's been, you know, trying to, trying to build ever since, you know, the, the, the Jets essentially located there back in the mid nineties. And it just hasn't worked, but this one's an, you know, the, the ultimate plan is to get a $2 billion, you know, uh, arena and, and, you know, surrounding retail, commercial and, you know, housing, all those kind of things. But I don't know if that's going to come to fruition. There's no slam dunk. So the next three to five years, this is the situation, how that's, you know, and while players are biting their tongue right now, what, what, you know, the big thing about the teams is the bottom line and the escrow. And if the Coyotes are not helping out on that, I don't think, I think it's a matter of time before, you know, players start talking out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jeff Hamilton also covers CFL football with the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers and, and and the whole league. So there's a couple of great stories coming out of Winnipeg this year. I'm uh, obviously his voice of the riders. I'm not going to be rooting for the Bombers. I'm not going to lie, but you do got to respect what Winnipeg's done. And I'll tell you what, at 36 years old, Stanley Bryant doing what he's doing on that Bombers offensive line is nothing short of miraculous. I remember being a sideline reporter when Gene Mikowski get off the bench after every drive and I'm thinking to myself this dude's in his 30s he's got an Ironman streak going it's a car accident on every play tip of the cap to Stanley Bryant absolutely I mean I I don't think it's hyperbolic um, to suggest that Stanley Bryant might be the best defensive lineman to play in the league Uh, you know given he's the only one that's won you know three most outstanding lineman awards he's setting himself up for a fourth one this season as you mentioned at 36 years old well certainly on the back nine of his career still playing at a very very high level I mean he's you know as much as we talk about Jack Caleros coming into Winnipeg and obviously you know his his arrival here coincided with uh, with the back-to-back great cup runs and um, at the same time you know he, he gets a lot of credit for it but there's a there's a big guy in 66 protecting his blind side and Stanley Bryant and that offensive line and that's really been the success uh, of this Bombers team and, and one that if you bring the riders into it that's been ailing them you know everyone asks what where, where Saskatchewan might be if they had you know offensive line if they had an offensive line like Winnipeg they'd probably be in a pretty good position right now but um, certainly Stanley Bryant is the is the main is the main architect on that line and uh, we'll see how many years he has but at 36 that's a tough position to be playing for for you know certainly a year-to-year guy now you've done a great job covering the CFL so this isn't directed at you but I tell you what we need to do a better job across the board in the media and fans getting behind stories like 
like this. Zach Kalaros, when he leaves Saskatchewan, his head's a bowl of soup after Simone Lawrence smokes him. He gets traded to Toronto. Uh, Toronto obviously doesn't see anything in him in terms of uh, he's got a future going forward. So Winnipeg picks him up because they're in a conundrum with their quarterbacking situation. And then one of the greatest comebacks in North American professional sports in the last three decades happens. And if this was in any other league but the CFL, we'd be doing 30 for 30s on this sucker. You know what, Ballsy, uh, you're bang on. I mean, this guy, you know, as you mentioned, he was he was ultimately picked up off the trash heap in 2019 at the trade deadline. And, and as good as the Bombers had been prior to his arrival, what I'd, I'd argue one of the biggest, you know, issues with them was, was a blind loyalty. It took... It took Matt Nichols pretty much not being able to walk anymore. Um, it took Chris Strebler going through not one but two two pretty serious injuries for him to even get even be considered. And then they bring him in. Um, this is one of the last regular season games. Mm-hmm. Jack Close rolls out to his right. We hadn't seen this in a while, and then and hits Darvin Adams in the back of the uh, back of the end zone. And everyone's looking around, being like. Okay, does this team have a quarterback, like a, a real bona fide quarterback? And to your point about covering these, covering these stories, I actually made a trip down to Steubenville, Ohio, not this past weekend, the weekend before, so uh, to figure out where it all started. You know, it's a town of fifteen thousand people. Zach Claris was thirty and zero as a quarterback at Steubenville High School, two state championships. This guy's been a winner, really, ever since he he picked up a ball. And so, I'll have that story coming out uh, in the next week or so as uh, as the Bombers get closer to doing the three peat, but. Certainly, Zach Claros has been, you know, he's just been, I think he's just more comfortable he's ever been in his career. It's, you know, and it's, you know, as you mentioned, comeback stories. I mean, the, you know, the, the question really was, you know, after, after leading the, uh, after leading the Bombers to back to back cups, like, where, where would this team be, be without him now after signing a three year extension? It's, where is Zach Claros going to take this team from here? Yeah, and I think we're going to figure out that question, uh, you know, coming up, coming through this playoff quickly in a minute or less, Jeff. Uh, so uh, Calaro signs the deal. Do you think that helps uh, Mike O'Shea make his decision to come back uh, in Bomber colors as the head coach uh, again? I do, and you know, I, I think after after starting that deal, the question was, oh, he wouldn't sign that deal unless Mike O'Shea, you know, knew he, or unless he knew Mike O'Shea was coming back and all that. I don't think that's true, but I do think, you know, as Mike as Mike continues to make his decision, and this is, you know, there's precedent to this. He always waits to the end of his contract before finding, uh, before starting the new one. Is I think that this just sealed it. I think you know the the connection that those two have is is real, and that you know they're cut from the same cloth. So you know if I already thought my crochet would be coming back. Jack Claros putting his name on on paper, I think, solidifies it. Check out his stuff on Twitter at Jeff K Hamilton. He's a great follow, and I'm looking forward to that article on Zach Claros. Uh, thanks for your time, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. McCullers to Harper. It's down. Right center field. Lightning strikes. 2-0 Phils. I'd love to swing a bat like Bryce Harper, and I'd love to have the pipes of Joe Davis, the voice of baseball on Fox. Now, that guy is only 34 years old, and he sounds like... He's drinking a lot of hard booze and smoke because he got the raspy, great deep pipes. Love it there. That is our clutch performance. Harper's sixth postseason homer, one of five the Phillies hit, tying a World Series record in a 7 nothing round of the Houston Astros in Game 3. Game 4 also tonight 
in Philadelphia. The Phillies up two games to one. Our clutch performance brought to you by Nick Service, your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. They're located at 2S Plains Road, Emerald Park. Give them a call, 781-1077. All right, let's get to a couple of your texts. Actually, I got to bring this up first. So so we had Jeff Hamilton on, veteran Winnipeg reporter, formerly of the Free Press. I get off the phone with him, and literally he tweets out, According to multiple sources, the CFL gave teams the wrong list of divisional all-stars and will be sending out a new list. Word is the results were calculated incorrectly and there will be multiple changes to the original. You literally can't make this up. I just went on a huge rant about how I don't want a ballot (laughs) because it's a farce and they calculated it wrong. What is this, a U.S. election? Like, come on. What is going on? How do you make that mistake? Anyway, they're going to rectify it. So, CFL All-Star Announcements 2.0 coming up. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll have it by the end of the show. Got a couple of texts on the uh, text line, which is powered by Capital Ford Lincoln at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. This from Chad in the 858. Ambrosie's a clown. The league's going downhill with him. Just like I believe the Riders are going downhill with Reynolds. That's what Chad says. I'm not an NFL fan, but I'm going to start watching it until those two are no longer part of the game. Chad in the 858. We focus tons on replacing our quarterback. I'd love to hear your opinion on who would be the equivalent of signing Labatt slash Picard in the upcoming offseason? Something the Riders did back in 2012 with Brendan Tamman as their GM. Who are the three or four free agent O-linemen we should be looking hard to secure? Mark, that's a on-the-fly text. I'll do a better job tomorrow. I'll look at some of the CFL free agents tomorrow and have your answer for you. I just don't have it right now. When we come back, a great segment we have. It's Hex Heroes and Zeros with two-time uh, Great Cup champion Jeff Hecht. Uh, he'll join us on the Western Pizza Hotline. This is the Sports Cage brought to you by Spreads.ca on 620 CKR. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Time now for our popular segment, Jeff Heck with Hex Heroes and Zeros. I know this is his favorite segment of my weekly show. Uh, Jeff, former uh, Grey Cup champ, twice over Calgary and Winnipeg. Let's get to your heroes and zeros. Let's start with the first hero from the last week of the regular season. I'm going to go a little sideways here. I'm going to put my hero and zero is going to be the same person or situation here. Okay. Um, it's going to be Nathan Rourke. Um, I'll start with the hero. First of all, him. I, I have a friend of mine who had Liz Frank surgery um, in January, and he texted me when he saw what was going on, and he said, my foot still hurts today. Um, this is an injury that everybody knows is a three, four, five, six months, but really it's a year to two before you're going to be at 100%. Um, the kid is tough as nails, which is tough to see from the quarterback position. Obviously, he was in discomfort elevating his foot on the sideline. But the fact that he's playing football, I think, eight weeks or just over eight weeks after this surgery is a testament to 
the surgeons he had, the medical staff, the rehabilitation process, his mental toughness and his physical toughness. It was impressive to see. Now, I, I don't think he looked... Uh, particularly well, which can be expected. It's not like he's a 10-year vet going in and knocking the rust off. He finished 7 for 11, 68 yards. His mobility is obviously uh, non-existent. Uh, I would have liked to see him play an entire half of football. I don't know what they can do out of that quarter other than see if he is if, if they were just seeing if he could physically do it. It was strange to see why not give him a half. Um, like I said, he's really, you know, first-year full-time starter. Get him some more repetitions. Um, I saw enough, though, that he is their best opportunity to win. He will be their starter. Um, and shifting to the other side now, I think it's a very, very high-risk, low-reward situation for him personally. The kid's ceiling is exceptionally high. At worst, next year in the CFL, he's going to be making four or five hundred thousand dollars a year. He's going to have he, you know, the worst case scenario is him being a CFL superstar for the next ten plus years. This guy has an opportunity to take a next level. The you know, it's the next level of competitive football. It's the next level of financial um, victories in football. I think this risk he's taking is too great to risk what could be potentially an NFL career. I unfortunately see him going out there, playing a game, getting into a high-risk situation, scrambling, re-injuring himself, and then, um, I mean, it'll be great for the CFL. He'll be a CFL quarterback next year rather than uh, taking his shot in the NFL. But I think, you know, the hero is the medical staff, him as a person, his integrity. The zero is, you know, he doesn't have, you know, somebody on his shoulder saying, look, man, let's weigh the options Maybe this isn't the best idea for us long-term. I played through many injuries, many bad injuries. Looking back on my career, I wish some of them I had taken some more time off, um, performed at a higher level when I came back rather than risk the longevity of my career. But, I mean... Uh, I did also play through some injuries, and so I can't fault the kid for being tough. Well, I'll tell you and what, for it's putting a, the team first. Yeah, it's a testament to uh, everybody talks like, oh, he's gone to the NFL for sure. And maybe he is, maybe he, he would. And you're right, I was going to ask you that, so I'm glad you brought that up as a zero. But it's a testament to how much it means to him to be the quarterback of the BC Lions in the CFL with a chance to win the Grey Cup. It means a lot to him to win a Grey Cup as a Canadian in this league. And I think that's what that, uh, that's why he's doing this. For sure, he took the long road, right? We we talk about um, if he's not Canadian, do we ever even see him in the CFL? No, nope. I doubt it. You know, I doubt it very much. So he took the long road. He took, you know, I, I say to everyone, he took the dirt road to the CFL as a Canadian, and now he is the single marquee quarterback in the entire league. Uh, anybody that takes the dirt road in professional sports, you always have this uh, vengeful attitude, this chip on your shoulder, whatever you want to call it, you know, I'm going to show you. Because if he didn't have the attitude of I'm going to show you on day one, he never would have got here in the first place. So it is commendable. It is the type of character. It is the type of quarterback that players want to play for. He elevates the entire roster just by being there, just by the energy, just by the leadership. Um, He shows everyone in the BC locker room, like, hey, if I can do it, we can do it. So they have, they have an unbelievable opportunity to win. Uh, I just think it's so much risk. And, and you know, maybe uh, if I'm his teammate, I want the guy to play. You know, as an objective fan, you know, uh, of Canadian talent, I want to see this kid go down into the NFL and then do the same thing he did here down there and really promote the Canadian player as not a CFL player but a football player.
Yeah, good words from Jeff Hecht. Okay, your second hero, Jeff Hecht, in Heroes and Zeros. My second hero is, is a combination of, of uh, it, what Buck Pierce did, Buck Pierce and Mike O'Shea did for Mike Miller in that game, getting him a touchdown on their um, – you know, right before the second end of the end of the half, there they ran a QB sneak situation where they motioned around, moved their fullback into a QB sneak situation, took a couple attempts, got stuffed, got a penalty. I mean, it, you know, it's obvious they're trying to give Mike Miller, you know, that trophy ball, which which is commendable for a guy that uh, is the greatest special teams player in the history of the CFL. In my opinion, he you know he's got a shot at the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. They're trying to get him that touchdown. It's very important. These accolades are very important to players. They're very important to the room as well. There was a situation with the Detroit Lions on the weekend. I don't know if anybody saw the clip. But they had an offensive lineman, and they mentioned it was his first start of his career. He's six years into his career. They said he had signed upwards of 20 different practice roster contracts with other teams over that time. And Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions, took some time in the pre- or the post-game breakdown, sorry, to acknowledge this man. And the entire room erupts. The media doesn't care about these little things like Mike Miller getting a touchdown, but the players do. And not just the players getting the recognition, the locker room does. The, the equipment staff does. Everybody wearing that logo. And the same thing happened in Calgary when Bo Levi went in in garbage time, whatever you want to call it, and ran their victory formation at the end of the game. It's substantial for Bo. You know, it's the respect from the organization. The entire locker room loved it, I guarantee that. I guarantee Jake Mary is looking at this guy as a role model, a mentor, you know, and he wants to see him get his due respect on the way out. This is what great organizations do. We've talked about it being a game of inches, and these inches where you have the wherewithal and the presence of mind of head coaches, not at the time. Dave Dickinson and Mike O'Shea had those scenarios in their mind going into that game. Hey, if we get in this situation, let's drop this play. Let's get Mike Miller a touchdown because that guy has done everything for us. Let's give him a, a, a reward. And Dave said the same thing. Hey, if we get into this situation, this dude's going to close out the game because he's closed out games for us for just about the, the last 10 years. He's done it all. He's one of the greatest Calgary St. Peters of all time. And let's give him a proper send-off. These are why these are the two premier organizations in the CFL. And it's the inches that they're that they're conscious of all right and your last zero of the regular season jeff hecht is my last zero of the regular season is the last week of the regular season i don't remember the last time we had every single game being meaningless in the cfl standings maybe it happens more often than not maybe this is the first time i'm kind of consciously aware of it I didn't watch all of every game. I'm going to be honest with you. I was very disinterested in the CFL this week. Um, I put out a tweet. You know, it, it was basically the third week of the preseason, an opportunity mm-hmm. for guys to rest guys or an opportunity for guys to try guys off the bench or see what we have going into the future. It was, you know, there's nothing you can do about the luck of it, but it was terrible timing. It reflected, I think, in the attendance at most stadiums. It's it, it was just an unfortunate timing because we are hyping up into the into the premier season. It's snowing here in Edmonton now. It is finally playoff weather. You know, our team's not in the playoffs. Obviously, they were out quite a while ago. But the CFL season ending on that kind of deflationary or non consequential week across the board was very difficult. You know, I'm a CFL fan. I'm not really a sports fan in general. I like the CFL. I watch the CFL. I didn't watch all of the games this weekend because it was. It was a nothing, it, and it was just unfortunate timing. And hopefully, we they can 
regain some of this momentum amongst the fan base going into this week and, and get some, some packed stands and some, some exciting games. This dude right here, Jeff Heck, he and I, uh, we met on Twitter. Well, we met on the football field once when I was a reporter and he was here. He wouldn't remember that. But we did meet on Twitter uh, going back and forth. And this guy right here said uh, it was probably when the Riders were about 5-4, and four, I think. And you said this team is going to continue to regress. Uh, you used the term fraudjardo. Um, so, your <laughs> thoughts on the Saskatchewan Rough, uh, Rough Riders, Jeff Nostradamus. Your thoughts on what, uh, what, what's gone on here with uh, tinkering, I will say. I won't say it's a complete clean out of the offensive staff because the running backs coach remains, but everybody else is out. Your thoughts? It's very strange, and I think, uh, I don't know who said it. Maybe it's Farhan, but somebody said the decisions in, in Saskatchewan right now are being made by their accountants. Their football decisions are being made by their accountants. An accountant has never won a championship, though. It's a very strange situation. I understand the coaching cap hamstrings a lot of people. I think in Edmonton they said they were three guys short of the salary cap, and they're still going to be paying other coaches for a couple years. So it makes it very difficult. There are pros and cons to the salary cap, obviously, in a league that is uh, marginally profitable at times. Hey, let me stop you for a second. Let me stop you for a second and then continue. Doesn't it irk you that coaches' contracts are guaranteed and now only players' contracts are starting to get guaranteed somewhat? Yeah, it was always a point of contention in the locker room for sure when you see head coaches especially when you look back to Saskatchewan specifically I think they were playing Ken Miller um, Chamberlain and Austin at the same time I want to I'd have to double check but yeah coaches getting guaranteed contracts we understand you know I understand now that I'm on the outside looking in it's tougher to attract coaches to the CFL than it is to um, some leagues down south because of the monetary gain so a way for them to you know guarantee guys some job security is with the guaranteed contracts but it with the coaching cap it does come back to bite you in the butt and um, it's great that players are seeing these guaranteed contracts I am very hesitant I don't think Many players are ever going to see guaranteed contracts. It's going to be reserved for quarterbacks, marquee players, marquee receivers, defensive ends, these kind of guys, the Willie Jeffersons, the Adam Big Hills, the quarterbacks. I don't think a lot of guys are ever going to see a guaranteed dollar outside of the dollar that's already in their bank account from the team. We're going to see guys getting cut before bonuses as usual. And yeah, as a player, it was always tough to see coaches getting fired. Um, and I've been a part of a couple teams where, you know, coaches' jobs were maybe in question. And you could see that they didn't really care. Um, when a player's job is, is in question, you automatically see them ramp it up. They understand there's a sense of urgency. Coaches with guaranteed contracts having this golden parachute, um, when the going gets tough, it's an easy way to say, um, all right, fire me. Like, I'll sit out for a year. I'll do the TSN panel. Everyone will forget that uh, I was terrible for my uh, my tenure. I'll talk to a couple of my favorite journalists, get my name back in the media, and I'll pick up a coordinator job in three years. It's not that big of a deal, right? So it, the double standard is tough, but I understand why they have to do that to tra- attract some of the better coaches to the league. Yeah, so, and lastly, I, I cut you off there, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you don't think the Riders went far enough. No, for sure. Um, they also announced, I think I saw this morning, they announced that neither O'Day or, or Craig are going to get uh, any sort of extension, which is, you know, kind of Anticipated. It's tough for coaches to coach in the last year of their deal or GMs to GM in the last year of the deal because they're always going to sacrifice the future to save their current job. Um, it's going to be difficult for them. I still think Bo is their number one free agent, and I still think he probably goes to Saskatchewan. Um, 
but it's going to be tough for them to attract other free agents with a head coach um, and a GM that are starting the season on the chopping block. I mean, if they start the year two and four, uh, they're going to replace the GM and head coach in the middle of the season. I think if uh, outside of a West final uh, appearance, they're both going to be gone anyway. It's tough. In my opinion, they've said 2023 is done. We'll keep the guys in here just so we know we have somebody who can keep this thing on the road so we're not a complete uh, gong show with paying the cheapest guys we can pay. But we're building for 2024. I think a lot of the GM moves are going to be limited. O'Day's power is going to be limited as far as manipulating the roster. He's not going to be able to do a lot of drafting without uh, approval from the board. He's not going to be able to make trades without approval because they know that they're Everything they do now moving forward is 2024. That'll include when they try to sign Bo. So they're going to have to sign him to a longer-term deal, maybe some guaranteed money, and say, look, like 2013 is a rebuild. It's in the, it's in the toilet. 20, 2024, let's go and, and find us some quality coaches and, and with our quality salary cap and, and take it from there. But it's it's tough. They were hamstrung by the, by the accounting of it. Um, but I still would have – one of them has to go. In my, in my opinion, you can't have uh, the two captains that went down with the ship uh, take you out to port again. So um, I don't think they did enough, but it's not surprising given the coaching cap limitations. That's Jeff Heck with another great round of heroes. And- Yay. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Time now for your sports ticker brought to you by Bronco Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling out there in Emerald Park where professional service is guaranteed. They're going to treat you right. Give them a call. 781-2090. Game four of the World Series goes down tonight. Phillies taking on the Houston Astros. It's two games to one for the um, Phillies. They won 7-0 last night. The CFL All-Star Awards were handed out, or the Yeah, well, the awards were handed out, and apparently (laughs) they have to be handed out again. Because according to Jeff Hamilton, uh, I retweeted his tweet. We had him on earlier on the show. You can check it out in podcast form. Basically what happened is, is they didn't tabulate the ballots correctly, so they have to redo it again. Somebody texted in or tweeted me at The Real Ballsy, said, Ballsy, that's not what happened. I'm sure they saw the backlash from everybody, players, former players, media, TSN panelists. I went, I started the show on a rant saying, don't give me, it's my first year voting because I've been the pre and post game shows, but never the, the state, our station gets one vote. So I've never been the voice. I'm the voice of the team. I stopped from town to town to vote on Sunday, driving home from Calgary. And it's a, this is farcical. It's a disaster the way it's looking right now. Uh, we can get into that a little later on, but uh, apparently they're going to recast the ballots. It's a, it's like a U.S. election. It's done, but it's not done. We'll do it again and check in with you in a bit. Oh, that's a real head slapper. Anyway, it's time to head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. All right, here with Regina's own Mason Nias, U of S Huskies quarterback. We hate the Huskies around here, but we like Mason Nias. Uh, Nias, how's it feeling going into another playoff run here? Well, it's exciting. It's obviously an exciting time. Uh, all these games, obviously, are of the utmost importance, and any game can really be my last game of the Huskies. So uh, I'm just taking it day by day and game by game here, and we're really excited for the test we have with Manitoba on Saturday. Your buddy Des Catelier comes in, probably the second best passer in the conference behind yours truly, Mason Nias. So, how does that feel going up against your buddy? 
Oh, it's exciting. I've played Des a lot, and we're good buddies. Known him for probably a long time now. Coming up on eight years here, played Team Canada with him. So it's going to be great seeing him, and obviously it's great competition when they come up north here to Saskatoon. So, hey, he's a heck of a quarterback, and they have a heck of a team, so we're going to have our test uh, or our, uh, our work cut out for us here, and it's going to be a tough test. But, yeah, really excited to see him, and obviously 250 guys battling out of the playoffs is always fun to see. Do you guys talk at all in the field together, or you just go your separate ways? That 55-yard line separates you. Um, maybe a little bit before, just saying, hey, how's it going? Obviously, he broke um, the U of M Bison's all-time career passing yards record this past weekend. So I reached out to him just saying congrats. Uh, and congrats on the career. He's had a really good and successful U sports career, so it's been pretty cool to watch him work. And uh, I'm sure I'll say hi before the game, but obviously when the first whistle blows, uh, we'll, we'll be going at it. So when you, my friend... <laughs> Are are in a game against him. You don't go up against a guy like him. But do you, if if he takes his team on a six play sixty five yard drive and he throws a twenty two yard dart on the screws for a touchdown? Are you licking your passing hand on the sidelines, going, "I'm going to one up you, Des"? <laughs> Maybe a little bit, I guess. Um, honestly, it's kind of cool. I know when we watched another offense go down score, it's kind of a uh, it almost gets us fired up on the offense side of the ball. We know we got to. Hey, it's going to be a ball game. We know we got to go out there and work and put up some points. It almost allows us to play a bit more free, knowing that we go. We're going to have to take some chances and score points because we're going to be. It could potentially be one of those games, right? So uh, it's kind of fun when you get a when it, when you get a game like that when the offense is going and working. Hopefully our defense stands up and we don't have to, don't have to worry about that too much. But, yeah, it's definitely pretty cool. Mason Nias, yeah, he broke a passing record, Des Catelli, but so did you in the Husky colors. How much does that one mean to you? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Obviously, um, I was focused on winning football games and whatnot, but, uh, you know, it's such a historic program here at the U of S and has such a rich football tradition. And to hold a, hold a single-season passing yards record like that is pretty cool and, and pretty special, especially after all the time I've spent here and putting in the hard work. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely a special moment, but obviously those records and all that doesn't really earn you too much when it comes to the next Saturday. So uh, you just got to flush it, put it behind you, and focus on the next game. You're not fooling me. Take that crap aside. That 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 uh, how you answer in your notebook that Scott Flory told you how to answer. Come on, man. <laughs> Do you not look at your stats and go, listen, I I I got ripped off two games in a COVID season. Think about that. You got two games less in a COVID season, and you rolled the bench for a couple of years. Come on. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I hear you. Obviously. Uh... You know, you love to hold records, and it's one of those things, especially when you get older and you look back on your career in college and whatnot, it's it's definitely stuff you hold more and more dear the more you get older, I find. And just talking with guys, like my buddy Mac right there holds a single-season rushing yards record at the at the University of Saskatchewan. And I know Schneid holds the all-time passing touchdowns record here, and I talk to those guys a lot. And it's pretty cool to have over, you know, when you get older and stuff. But when you're, when you're here in the time, it's, it's obviously sweet. It's it's nice to do, but I'm sure I'll reflect more on it when I when I get out of the program and can look back on take a take a full bird's eye view of it. But as of right now, obviously, like I said, just just focus on the next game, and uh, it's just you're, you have such a hyper focus on what you're doing at the task at hand that it's hard to really take a full full view of things and take it for what it is and fully appreciate uh, the body of work you have. Before I ask you about the game, one more thing. Do you think you've done enough to get that uh, Heck Crichton trophy? Do you think you've turned enough heads? Um, you know what? Um, it's, it's one of those things where I, I've done everything 
I could do. I've played the games, the regular season award. So um, it's almost kind of nice that, you know, obviously you're, you're worried about winning games, but obviously you, you want to win awards too. And I, I think I think I have done enough. I think I have a good body of work. I think my case speaks for itself. And uh, it's one of those things where it's a voted award. So, you know, people can think what they want, and hopefully I win the award. But if not, I, I know what type of player I am, and I know what I've done. And now that it's behind me and the regular season behind me, I don't really have to worry about it too much. It's in, in other people's hands and on my own, so I'm just going to focus on what I can do, and that's win playoff games. So um, it's almost kind of nice having that behind me, and now I'm strictly focused on winning football games and all that stuff doesn't really matter anymore. But, yeah, you know what? I think I put up good tape and good numbers, so uh, I'll kind of let that do the talk, and hopefully um, the voters agree with me. All right, so you're going into the playoffs here. Mason Nias and the U of S Huskies against Brian Doby and the Manitoba Bisons. I had him on the show yesterday. Uh, they're a team that had to win their last two just to get into the playoffs. Um, how much did last year's playoff run help you to lead this team, your teammates, into these important games, which you just said a couple minutes ago, each of those games could be your last game as a Husky. Yeah, I think it just adds experience, right? And experience is really everything in football. We know what it takes to win football games in the playoffs. We know what it takes to go into in a run on a run in uh, in the winter here in uh, Saskatoon and uh, going forward outside of the conference. So uh, we know what it takes. We know it's hard work, and we know nothing's going to be given to us. Uh, speaking with about Doby and the Bisons coming in here, they're a heck of a team, and really they always have been. They're 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 older. They always have kind of an older team. They're really athletic, um, and they fly around. And they can make plays. It's one of those things where uh, I, I think you can ask really any Canada West player outside of the Bisons that they're a team that can sneak up on you. They, they're really talented, and uh, when they're riding a wave, they're they're a really good football team. So it's one of those things where we just have to stay productive and stay even keel because they're going to make some plays as we are. So. Uh, you know, just staying even keel and uh, playing a full 60 minutes. But, yeah, definitely having the experience of playing tight games and being up or being down in playoff games uh, definitely gives us the confidence to know that we can pull out games uh, no matter what the situation or game style might be. So, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a tough test, but we're excited to, excited to play it, and hopefully we can get the win on Saturday. Riders have had a shake-up, and we've talked about with the Riders as it relates to their uh, sour season culture and what kind of culture was in the locker room. I'm going to ask you, as the undisputed leader of that team besides your head coach, what makes for a good locker room and good culture, as they like to say? I think it's one of those things where, don't get me wrong, uh, you can develop leadership skills and all that stuff, but I think it's a supernatural thing, and it comes from making <laughs> making good, meaningful relationships with the people you people around you. And that comes with friendships. It comes with away from the field stuff, and it comes from leading from example. Um, I know just for me personally, I have four really good roommates that I'll play on the team, really good friends with them. I have a lot of friends that I don't live with on the team that we – hang out all the time, we bond, we talk about a lot of different things, not just with football, but with life. And we truly care about the other people's success in the locker room. And one thing I'm going to plug, not even a football guy, Darren McKechnie, the coach of the Pack Canadians in Indiana, there, he always had a saying when I played hockey for him that you can do a lot of special things on a team when no one cares who gets the credit. And I think we really embody that. We just want to go out there, play good football, and whether I've said it my whole career, if I throw for 50 yards and Riker Frank goes out and runs for 250 and win a football game, I'm happy with it because they're winning football games. And we truly embody that, and we just want to see team success, not individual success. And then we also care about the guy next to us deeply. 
not just from a football standpoint, but from a life standpoint. So it makes us a really close group, and I think that's kind of what embodies a good team culture and the culture we have here at the U of S. I'm telling you folks right now, anybody listening over at Mosaic Stadium that wears rider colors, get get this guy into camp because the BC Lions went and drafted a whole crap load of Huskies, and I can bet if they got Rourke there, they're going to put Nias behind him. Get Nias in here in Saskatchewan after he wins a heck Crichton. And you know what, Nias? You can supersize my fries for being your de facto agent, okay? <laughs> Sounds fantastic. I appreciate it. <laughs> Take care. Take care, man. Thank you. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Welcome to the show, corner of 12th and Rose on this cloudy Wednesday as the sun is continuing. Daylight's continuing to evaporate, not sun. There is sun there, but it's behind a thick bed of uh, clouds. But I'm no meteorologist. I'm barely a sportscaster. And apparently they don't care about how I vote in the CFL ballots. Embarrassing. Uh, But I guess our ballots don't count. They're recounting them. It's hilarious. We'll get to that in a second with Luke Molitor. This show is brought to you by our friends at spreads.ca. Use the code CKRM and you can be in for a bunch of promo offers. Uh, you can bet on a bunch of things tonight, including the World Series, as it's Game 4. In case you care, Philadelphia hosting Houston when my Padres went out. The baseball playoffs ended, in my humble opinion. The uh, Washington Commanders, uh, their owner, Daniel Snyder, is uh, now... Um orchestrating with the bank maybe uh, different avenues to sell the team, either a minority stake or a majority stake, maybe. He's under investigation for workplace misconduct. And also, and I think this this uh, makes the owners matter than that, because I, I think a few of those owners have had their own shenanigans with workplace stuff. But he was keeping, apparently, allegedly money from the revenue-sharing pot. That's a no-no. Jim Mercy's already come out of the Colts and said that, hey, that's maybe uh, there are grounds to remove him as an owner. They haven't gone down that far yet because he says it's like a mafia and I have dirt on all of them. So stay tuned for Young and the Restless there. Uh, our text line is brought to you by our friends at the Capital Ford Lincoln at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. 936-6262, the number to text. Mike from Regina, the CFL is run by a bunch of old senile Q-tips. The CFL board should be made up of former coaches and players except for a guy like Randy Ambrosi. He's an idiot. Okay, Mike, thanks. Keep the text coming. 936-6262. Here's a smart former player, our color commentator on the Rough Rider Radio Network. He'd be Luke Molitor. I I can't believe when the news came out yesterday, Luke, how many texts I got on our text line. They wanted you to be the coach. Man, we'd be 0-18. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying they wanted you to be the coach. So you have had one thing I've heard this year. Usually Ballsy blows the gasket and everybody laughs at that, but they were. It's, they said it's refreshing for me to put the leash on you and let you run around the yard. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to take you off the leash here, Mullender, and you're going to bark out something on, on your thoughts on, on what you see <laughs> what the riders did or did not do here. Wow, wow, what an opportunity that is. Um, <laughs> okay, so, so what I'll do is I'll, I'm going to remove myself from the friendship that I have with Jeremy O'Day and Craig Reynolds and, and the respect I have for a guy like Craig Dickinson. And I'm going to look at this strictly from an analyst of the you know, color commentator of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, your broadcast partner. 
right? Um, like, I just feel like you really have to be careful with messaging because people, and Rider Nation in particular, they may be crazy, but one thing that they are not is stupid. You know, and this is a performance-based business that you can't just slough accountability off to the side and under the carpet, right? You know, it's, 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 it's actually been kind of sad to, to watch a couple of the narratives play out, specifically, you know, oh, well, this team is handcuffed because of the coach's cap, right? And, and look, I get it. As Bush League and as crippling to development to the league as that cap is, I can promise you one thing. In this business, there's always ways to make meaningful change. Always. There is. There's always ways to make There is, change. Luke. You could have spread things out over five years. If Jason there's- Moss gets a head coaching job, he's off the books. So that's still in the wind. We're here in maybe Montreal. Uh, well, that's, go ahead. Sorry. And that's the thing. Well, well, but that's the thing. There's always ways to make meaningful change when you want to hold the right people accountable, right? And I'm one to say, like, look, I don't think Jason Moss is much of a head coach. But I can promise you guys one thing. Jason Moss didn't just forget how to call an offense, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, there's an argument to be made, well, he's got you know, to put the system around the players that he has there, and that's true, right? But he's also now responsible for getting the players in the door in training camp and also onto the team. The coach makes that decision with the GM, right? Here's the facts. If you don't want to listen to that, here's the facts. The Riders allowed the most offensive points per game to an opponent this year at 26.4, the third most. Right? And if you take the elk out of it, they were also near the bottom of the CFL in opponent offensive touchdowns. Okay? Jason Moss, Stephen Sorrells, Travis Moore, they got nothing to do with that. They also allowed the third most big plays in the Canadian Football League. And you know as well as I do, Ballsy, it's turnovers and big plays that often make the difference. Yep. Right? Yep. The Riders were dead last in penalties per game. 9.6 penalties per game for a whopping total of 1,515 yards. Jason Moss, Steven Sorrells, Travis Moore aren't just the only guys who are accountable for that. And by the way, we had the second worst run defense in the league. All right? So those, those are the facts. So if, if we're going, if this is the piece and, and the leaders of this regime, right, have preserved their roles, then I think that one of the things we should hope happens here is that the board and someone else is willing to say, look, just cut it out with the humanitarianism, all right? Because this isn't the Red Cross. And what I mean by that is I watched the statements that were made, and, and I get it. Again, I'm removing myself from my friendship with Jeremy O'Day and, and, and Craig Reynolds, right? But when you say, you know, so-and-so has been in this, on this, in this organization for 20 years, and nobody cares about the rider organization more than this guy. He wants us to, you know what that doesn't, Ballsy, that has nothing to do with what makes a general manager and a regime successful in this league. Caring about stuff, that's Red Cross stuff. This needs to be a business. Like, look, I love Krispy Kreme donuts, Ballsy. Mm-hmm. I love them. I do too. I will kill it. And they are so important to my lifestyle and my fans. I will do anything for Krispy Kreme donuts. You know what that doesn't make me? Someone who knows how to make Krispy Kreme donuts, right? <laughs> or, healthy, to, or healthy, or <laughs> healthy. Yeah. We have to understand that this is a business yeah. where tough decisions and tough people need to be at the top because it's a competitive dog-eat-dog world. You know, so, so I'm concerned a little bit because 
I get prioritizing, whatever. That's You get to do that when you're leading the organization. You get to prioritize people. But what we are not doing is we haven't, we've forgotten. I feel like there's a, there's, it's been forgotten that it's the plan and the people, the plan needs shifting. And those are the people who got us here, right? And, and all the advantages that Ryder Nation enjoyed, those aren't present anymore. Baldy, we just saw Darnell Sankey and Larry Dean get passed over for all-star nods after career years. Yep. Okay? Voting controversy aside, Ballsy, Darnell Sankey is the defensive player of the year if he's on a winning team. Period. Okay? You think he's not going to be thinking about that during free agency? Nick Marshall, some of these leaders on this team, those guys look checked out. Right? What's what's holding them to the because it used to be man community. Well, I heard this. I heard this. I I heard this, Luke. I heard this from a couple of people that Nick Marshall and Duke Williams checked out on Wednesday of the last game of the season, like they left town. That's what I heard. So, so that's so. If that's true, right? Then you, when the leaders are disenfranchised. Like, there's nothing – the stadium's no longer a free agent draw, okay? You're not selling out the building. Like, the, the things that we enjoyed, the, you know, that whole decade of decadence type of deal, that's no longer so, – so now what, ha- what happens beyond 2023 comes into play for anybody that, A, is a free agent, and, B, that these guys want. And the concern is it's not simply – the, the free agent, the, the pieces that we need. Everybody knows this team needs O-linemen and this team needs a number one quarterback, period. This team needs help in the trenches on both sides of the ball. We know that. But you know what this team also needs to do? There's some pretty impressive free agents on that list. This team needs to refine those guys. And what is the pull? What is the pull? There is none. So, so it's a concerning – so you've got to be careful with messaging, right? And, you've got, and, and someone has to – has to take a realistic we have to get tougher like you know here's the other thing too and and i and again i like i really like craig dickinson but i was there in hamilton when marcel belfay was the head coach of the hamilton tiger cats okay mm-hmm. they had a pretty good team in 2011 we beat montreal in the eastern final in 2011 and montreal was a good team but you know what i saw i saw guys running over marcel belfay i got i got guys breaking dress code. I saw guys breaking dress code, walking by Marcel Belfay in things that they knew they weren't supposed to be wearing, but they didn't care because they didn't respect Marcel Belfay. Marcel Belfay would point out the fact that, hey, man, we don't do that in this locker room. And, and the response would be, oh, oh you're going to that now, huh? Now you're the tough guy? Like, literally, those were, and I really feel like Craig Dickinson's a lot closer to Marcel Belfay right now than he is to a Mark Tressman, um, a, a Kent Austin, a Wally Buono, those guys, Chris Jones, those guys, I guarantee you, I guarantee you there's no attitude in the Chris Jones locker room because there's a fear of Chris Jones. And that's why I promise you that Edmonton is going to be a ton better next year if Chris Jones is still well, there. Jeff, those guys were out recruiting already. Jeff Heck, so, told, Jeff Heck told me a story off the air, and he wouldn't mind me. We, we talk before we do our interviews. And he said back uh, early on in Chris Jones's regime here in Regina, 
vagina. Uh, they have what they call, and maybe you had it when you play, they have vol- voluntary meetings, okay, at 8.30, just to make sure the dudes show up, because uh, unless you make dudes show up, they generally aren't going to show up. So they, they know that it said it's voluntary, but it's not real voluntary. Well, one receiver showed up. He didn't tell me who it was, but one of the receivers showed up late early in the season to one of these voluntary meetings, and Chris Jones made him wait out in the hallway, then brought him in in front of the team and cut him right there. Hey, this guy, this guy uh, doesn't think he has to be here for a voluntary meeting. Get your stuff and get out. And the message was sent right there. That, that is what this team, if they want to be taken seriously in this league, if we want to move forward, that's what creates sustained success. You know, I guarantee you, the legends of this game, they weren't, look, Huffnagel wasn't, you know, Huffnagel, there's some guys I'm sure that didn't like Huffnagel's approach. I'm sure there were guys that didn't love Don Matthews' approach. By the way, there's a lot more guys that did love it, right? There's, there's a lot more guys that are willing to go to war and vouch for Chris Jones than you'd think. Right? Yeah, he's not a guy that's going to be all in public and shaking hands and kissing babies. But again, this isn't a humanitarianism organization. This is a football team that's a production-based business where you got to win. And we got four great cups in this organization's entire history. And one of the reasons is I really feel like this is because of the attitude we've taken. The attitude is, oh, man, you know what, we're going to be that organization that's, that's, you know, open door policy. And, you know, we want to, like, man, you've got to focus on winning. And it takes tough-minded people bringing in equally as tough-minded and physically tough individuals. You've been on that plane. Ballsy, the only person that looked like an offensive lineman at the end of the year this year was Logan Furley. The rest of those guys were, like, and you looked at our opponents and you're just like, wow, these guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. And and, and we said it, or I said it at the end of the broadcast. Like, listen, Dickie gets the blame for the culture in the room because he's the guy that's got to set it. Now he, but... But on the other side, Jeremy O'Day, in conjunction with Craig Dickinson, they have to they have to pick the right players. Not only successful uh, in terms of physicality, Luke. You've been in the locker rooms. They have to pick the right character guys, and they didn't pick the right character guys. Let's be honest. They spent two hundred and fifty five thousand dollars on a malcontent receiver that is a baby and did nothing for two hundred and fifty five thousand dollars. They spent they spent four hundred plus on a quarterback that was only worried about him, yeah. right? Like, that's, that's, yeah. that's let's call it what it is. Yeah. Like, man, and, and, and you know what? And they're, and they're right now, I know the, 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 the focus is going to shift on to uh, who's offensive coordinator. I, by the way, I really like your suggestion about Mark Mueller. Why not? I think that he's not the first guy. I think that the first guy they need to contact is, is Marcus Brady and say, yo, if you don't get an NFL look, we need you to come because that's a Trestman guy, yeah. right? That's a trend, like Marcus Brady, but I'm not, I'm okay with Marcus Mueller. Uh, Mark Mueller. I I think that maybe you kick tires if you can't get any of those guys on a guy like Kahari Jones. But Kahari Jones is what he is, right? He's a yeah. he's more of a, a head coach than he is an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Right. So yeah. yeah. So, but man, like again. This here's my concern, Luke. Luke, here's my concern. Lastly, before I let you go, okay? If you're a free, and and I, this is a legitimate concern. If you're a free agent, as you alluded to, not not even just, well, yeah, somebody that's still on the roster like Sankey or or Lanier the second. If you are a free agent, are you with a coach who has one year left on his deal and a GM? Wouldn't you be a little concerned about coming here? Well, and and if you don't respect 
the the regime as much as as much as you should. You know what that text message sounds like? Because because you you figure out okay, well I got this deal. Let me call Darnell saying, hey hey Sankey, what you doing? You you thinking about coming back? And Sankey's gonna call you and say, hell no. Nah. And then everybody else you that you call is gonna be like, yeah probably not. like dude like that stuff resonates, man. The respect thing resonates. So again, I just hope that hey listen, if if we're not gonna reset the leaders of the organization, it is what it is. I understand the business then you need to reset the mentality and you need to desperately reset the way you go about doing business. And it's going to take some attitude shifts. But again, like, man, the, the rider, like, again, caring about, let me, like, let you and I, Ballsy, you, one of the reasons that you relish this opportunity to be play-by-play guy is because you were a rider. You, you care about football and you care about the province of Saskatchewan. Those are the people that, 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 that are supposed to do that caring. And, and it's not, there's no, there's no, that nothing about caring about a province makes you a GM in, in, in a professional sports league. What makes you a GM is contacts. What makes you a GM is scouting ability and seeing players that are going to make a difference in the only column that ever matters. Wins, losses, period. Folks, I just let my dog, the great hound, Luke Molliner, loose. It was great. Thanks for your time, buddy. Have yourself a great rest of the week. Hey, man, I can't wait to see how that voting process figures out. Oh, what a joke. <laughs> what a joke. I'll see you later, man. See you, man. Take care. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage and Rob Banstone joining us in a moment here on 620 CKRN. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the sports cage. Right here on the mighty 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back to the sports cage corner 12th and Rose. This show is hot, hot, hot. 936-6262. That's a line to uh, Texas, the capital Ford Lincoln. Text line shows brought to you by spreads.ca and all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, study time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza. Let's get to the phone lines and talk to the great Rolodex rider information. That would be Rob Vanstone. I wanted to talk hockey with you quickly. You got a book that you're involved in uh, coming out here, but hey, man, <laughs> the rider, man, I. It's my first year doing the games, Rob. I okay, a couple of things, but like twelve things, crazy. <laughs> yeah, what a starter kit. Welcome to being the voice of the Rough Riders. Yeah, um, yeah. my goodness, it, uh, it it's been quite the quite the ride. I mean, I a couple of weeks left in the season, or coming on the bye week, I, I said to my wife, uh, Chrisula, like, okay, what's you know they've gotten through the bye week and nothing goofy has happened. I guess this is good news. And then first day back, they demote Cody Fajardo. And to me, that was just a capper for this uh, this season. It just it just so typified everything that happened. By by contrast uh, to that, what happened uh, yesterday was pretty orderly, but uh, <laughs> everything leading up to it uh, certainly was not. How are you in terms you you preach patience on Cody and 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 were a backer of Cody's? How are you with the moves that they made or didn't make yesterday? I'm okay with them. I mean, I, I, it's not heel clicking time. It wasn't a vote of confidence as much as it was an ultimatum. I don't think it really absolved them. There were no contract extensions given and no glowing endorsements given, nor was there, I think, uh, fodder for those. But um, I'm not that really that rankled by it. I, I think uh, if you look at the body of work and uh, and take a take a step back and, and as much as one can in an emotional emotion fueled industry. 
and a results-based industry, I still think that simple math sometimes wins out and two is greater than one. And they had uh, one really good season, one slightly above average season, and one horrible season. So I think by and large, uh, I mean, in July, on July 8th, they were on a 26-9 and run. When you consider, if you yep. if you look at the first, they lost their first two games in 2019. After that, they went 26 and nine in the regular season. So I don't. I go back to what Luke said about Jason Moss that he didn't suddenly forget how to coach football all of a sudden. I don't think Craig Dickinson either, and I don't did either, and I don't think Jeremy O'Day suddenly became a liability in mid July. Uh, there were a lot of factors that played into it, and there are certainly things that they needed to do much better and need to do much better. And by all, I think I think they're deserving of that opportunity. Okay, so listen, <laughs> I've proposed if they got to do what they can do, they do their due diligence. He he works out; he's healthy. You, the, the only way you get tickets sold here is Bo Levi Mitchell. Yeah, you bring Mason Fine back and let him uh, continue to develop. I think he's shown he could be a a competent backup. I don't know that he's a starter. And you bring this Heck Crichton Trophy winning kid in, Mason Nias, onto this team and add Mark Mueller, Lancaster's grandson, as an OC. He's got nowhere to go up there unless Arash's reports are real and um, and uh, Huffnagel's going upstairs as the president and Dickinson gets to be the coach and GM. The problem there might be that it'll be very difficult to give an offensive coordinator a two-year contract when everybody has a one-year contract right now. But most, but I did some digging. Most OCs in the league have one-year contracts, not two. That it, the Riders were kind of out of the box with Jason Moss with two years. Yeah, but you know their their custom here has been to give two-year contracts. And I, if you're Mark Mueller, I don't think you come here in a in a, in a distressed situation for one year when you when you can. Almost just wait your wait your turn in Toronto, in Calgary. That's a really good organization there, and that's a really good place that he really likes. So I think he has the luxury of patience. I'm not sure the the Rough Riders do. As far as Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, you know, I echo what Rash said on your show not so long ago, and what you've been been trumpeting. And yes, there's questions about his shoulder, etc. But I think they got to. They got to get bullied by Mitchell, and I don't think they should wait till free agency or can afford to wait till free agency because they've got an off season to energize and they've got tickets to sell. They should send, let's say, you know, a, a special teams player or a fifth round draft choice or something to Calgary just to get the negotiating rights to him into February, and then they've got a few weeks or months to work on that. The earlier that they can get that done, the more they can promote him and get him all over the province and. and, and Spreading the uh, the the Rough Rider uh, good news, and uh, they, they've got tickets to sell, and they need someone to sell those tickets pretty quickly. What happened yesterday isn't going to sell even a pom pom or a jersey, let alone a, a season ticket. Okay, I went overtime. Would you do me a solid, and will you come back? Can I, if I find a a place that works to your liking between four and six thirty tomorrow or Friday, will you come on to talk hockey specifically? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so we'll text you tomorrow. We'll line it up tomorrow or Friday because I want to spend some time talking about the maskless goalie book you worked on, and I also want to get your top five Pat players of all time and see if the guy that wears 98 fits in there, top five Rob Van Stone Pat players of all time. But thanks for your time, man. You you are the Rolodex of Rider information. It was great to get your remarks so fresh off of what happened yesterday. We'll talk to you soon, okay? You bet, Ballsy. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, buddy. When we come back, we're going to hook up with Arash Madani, coast to coast. Let's talk about those Rourke brothers. Yeah, there are two, and the younger one might be better. 
This is the sports cage for spreads.ca. Sorry, I meant Farhan Lalji next. Sorry, I'm looking at the I'm looking at two. What did I say? Uh, Arash. Oh, Arash Madani. Sorry. Because I had a rash on my mind because he said a rash. A rash is the Arash, it's like garbage day. Garbage day is Wednesday. Okay, Arash is Wednesday. Tuesday is Farhan. Or Tuesday's Arash. Thursday's Arash. Farhan's Wednesday. Suitors Tuesday. Man, I can't keep track, man. He's the Rolodex, not me. I'm shot. My mind's shot. Yes, Farhan Lalji's back next. When we come back, sportscageforspreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Be beat. Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking Riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage at the corner of 12th and Rose here on 620 CKRM in downtown Regina. It's brought to you by our friends at uh, spreads.ca. Use the code CKRM when you're signing up and you'll be in for a lot of different promo offers. So we voted for the CFL All-Star, All-Stars, West, East. Eastern reporters vote East, Western reporters vote West. I don't know if our next guest gets a ballot both ways because he's a national guy on TSN. Uh, but I went on a rant to start the show, Farhan Lalji, that it's my first year getting a chance to vote as the voice of this team. And if this is how it's going to go, this is before I got the latest news. If this is how it's going to go with some of these uh, decisions, like basically the Toronto Argonauts are the entire Eastern team, including Andrew Harris. What a joke. Uh, uh, if this is how it's going to go, then don't even give me a ballot next year because I don't want to waste my time and effort to vote. But now apparently they tabulated the votes wrong. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, look, it's disappointing. It certainly explains a lot of things, right? I mean, uh, uh, who was the fam that was uh, on the list for the Bombers uh, that you know lost his spot and wound up finishing the season on the practice roster? And you mentioned Andrew Harris, who... Um, you know, we debated eight games, nine games on Nathan Rourke, um, but Andrew Harris statistically wasn't even close to that. And there were a few other things, Boris Beatty and probably yeah, Calgary's O line, Calgary's O line not getting an award, no right? Yeah. yeah, all of it. There, there was there were some discrepancies, and some of it you can shake your head at because you know one of the things with this league is that it's kind of become more regional, right? Like I know out here when we talk about the Whitecaps and MLS. You know, the the big thing the league has going for it is there's a national audience and a national presence. And, you know, whereas with the Whitecaps, for example, nobody knows who anybody is outside of the big designated player millionaires. You know, you don't know who the rank-and-file players are in other markets, whereas the CFL's always had that. And now it, it's less and less of that, right, which is why the Rourke league-wide phenomenon was such a big deal. And, and I do think that extends to a point to broadcasters, right, where I do think there's some that are just so laser-focused in their own market that they don't – watch enough of what's going on outside of when that opponent plays their team, but there's less media covering the league, less educated people voting. So some of them I kind of just attributed it to that, but this time around there was some glaring nonsense. So, uh, you know, that I, I, like it makes sense. And look, the league screwed up. They just put out a statement where they're owning it. Like they're not, they're yeah. not even giving a reason as to why they're saying, look, it was RF up. We made the mistake. We're solely responsible, and that's all that matters, and they're right. And the sad part is is that people who hate the CFL anyway, yeah. this is low-hanging fruit for them, and they can pile on the league when, you know, it's like one time the CFL a team, you know, when the U.S. Uh, teams were here and then they had a dispersal draft, um, 
and a dead guy got drafted. Yeah, and Ottawa. For decades, yeah. people yeah. talked about how the CFL is drafting dead guys, and that's that's not the norm. And we've never had this kind of error with the All Stars. And now that fans are involved, it probably lends itself to a different process. So, look, long way of saying, I, I hope it's a bad look. They deserve criticism. Let's move on because yep. I, I hate the thought that everyone's going to pile on. Because yeah, they owned it, and there's some great stories to talk about here, uh, especially where you're situated in Vancouver. So that's uh, that's good to set it straight that way. Uh, Nathan Rourke, we'll get to him in a second. I watched his brother Curtis yesterday, and I was actually te- oh, yeah. and I was actually texting Nathan back and forth, and he was like. He's. I uh, says your brother better than you, and he just sent back a smile emoji. Said he's a baller, that's for sure. So I'll ask you, Farhan, is Curtis Rourke at Ohio better than his brother, or will he be better, yeah. or does he have the potential to be better? Today, he's better than Nathan at this stage. Like as a as a passer, yeah. Um, Curtis is much farther along at this stage of his development than Nathan was, and Nathan would be the first to tell you that. Um, and I, I would probably say that Curtis is an athlete is closer to Nathan than Nathan was to Curtis as a passer, again, at this stage. Okay. Um, in terms of his ability as a prospect, six four and a half, the NFL is going to be looking uh, a lot closer at Curtis than they did at Nathan. And I'm curious to see if Curtis's career ends at Ohio because his goal was always to win a MAC championship. If he wins a MAC championship and graduates this spring, which he's supposed to, you know, you have to believe there's going to be some Power Five people whispering in his ear saying, come over here and we'll give you NIL money and you'll get a chance to start. And that's the hard part, right, is that, you know, when guys transfer, you're not guaranteed a starting job like Caleb Williams kind of was because the coach went there too. But, you know, you don't want to give up a starting job at Ohio to have to battle for a starting job mm-hmm. somewhere else. So, uh, you know, that's the other part. But in terms of what he's doing now, Nathan didn't do this. Like, Nathan didn't come close to this as a passer. Nathan won. Nathan produced. Nathan, you know, ran the ball, and it was a different offense then. But, um, yeah, as a passer, Curtis is miles ahead right now. You were on the Nathan Rourke train uh, a long time ago. You know him personally. So how do you take the reporter glasses off and just as a guy that watches him and likes football, how do you feel about Nathan Rourke pushing it and playing when he's got a whole career with lots of money on the line maybe? Well, um, understand, I, I also uh, know the medical people involved quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I thought there was risk being taken here, I would, uh, I would feel differently than the way I feel now. And I know the medical people involved uh, for a long, long time, and the integrity and ethics involved are impeccable. So, like, I, I, I just know, based on what they're doing, that they're not putting him at risk. In fact... The plate that was put in his foot, which was not a necessary part of this procedure and recovery, is actually making his foot stronger than his left foot. Wow. Right? Like his, his right foot is actually a more structurally stable place than his left foot. Is there going to be some pain? Is there some atrophy? Is there some limitations based on inactivity? Sure. And if everybody is going to use that to say, see, he's not ready. He's still hurt. He shouldn't be playing. That's different. That, like, that's wrong, right? Because he's not, you know, when, when he says he's coming back and he's not going to give you a percentage on it, that's not about healing. That's just about his own ability relative to where it was, right? And those things just take time. But if there was risk that he was going to re-injure that foot 
and um, it was going to set back his recovery and what next year looked like for him in either league, what anything looked like, I, I would feel differently about it. And I, I just, like I said, I know the people involved. I know the integrity involved, and I'm, I'm comfortable with what I'm seeing. All right, uh, this is uh, Farhan Lalji joining us from Vancouver, getting set for the Lions and the uh, Calgary Stampeders. I re- I tell you what, my son texted me today. He goes, one of the best things that ever happened to this league was Amar Doman joining it. And this is a 20-year-old college student who still who loves the CFL, which is great because, I mean, he comes by it honestly, but that's the demo we need. And he said, you know, you look at what he's doing there and you look at it. They, they got Sarah McLaughlin singing the anthem. You got uh, the, the Bare Naked Ladies guy, Steven page doing the halftime show <laughs> you guys have announced the halftime show there we still don't have one for the gray cup for gosh sakes <laughs> and, and and i mean thirty thousand people are right around there i know that's the nathan rourke effect but amar dolman put a lot of elbow grease into this thing yeah it all kind of has lined up and, and you know what it, it is the nathan rourke effect to a point but i do believe this is also the amar dolman effect right and you know there's been some tangible things that he's done but there's also some intangible things in terms of just restoring faith in the marketplace, right? They're investing in the product. They're creating resources. The owner is visible. He's local. He cares. And we knew David Braley cared, but David wasn't visible. And we didn't see David put the resources in. Like the bills were always paid, right? And God rest his soul. He's as important a person to the CFL that we've had, you know, in this generation. Yep. Um, but the, the narrative in this marketplace was, He's not committing the resources to properly promote this team. You know, the bills are being paid and everything's professional, but this guy is spending money and this guy is directly involved on a day-to-day basis on things beyond payroll, right? And, you know, they've got a new president who's got lots of background and, you know, they've got two presidents on the payroll right now so they can transition one out. They're, you know, they're doing all the extras to get this done right. And you couple that with... um, a Nathan Rourke, right? Like it, it, it all matters. It's not just one or the other, right? Because if, you know, you look at what they're doing with their social media team and the content that they're producing and, you know, uh, going to the Seahawks and saying, Hey, yeah, that was good. Send, you know, send our information to your season ticket list in BC. He went to the other teams here in the market here, the Canucks and the Whitecaps, sadly, both of them said no, but he's making all of those efforts and he's building all of those relationships and, He's local. He cares, and it matters. Yeah, that's real. That's a real good point. That was a nice touch uh, uh, between uh, the NFL and the CFL. They're proving that hey, you can like football on both sides of the border from the actual. Imagine that, hey, both. Yeah, from the actual team. That's right. Hey, um, so let's talk about this game. I see it being won and lost in two areas. Number one, we'll address this first. Nathan Rourke is he healthy enough? Do you think to and have the the rust off enough? We're not talking like a 10-year pro that's banged off the rust. We're talking a young guy still here. Does he have enough to get them through this game and win it? Ooh, a tough question, and I say that. Does he have enough? Yep. Do I think Nathan Rourke can throw for 300 yards and develop, deliver 30 points? Yep. Do I think that'll be enough to win the game? Not sure. BC's run defense yeah. is not good enough. That's where I was they're going. Yeah, they're running. Yeah, good enough. Yeah. And you couple that with their special teams gap, right, because Calgary's better. There's simply no doubt Calgary's better. I mean, you go back to the first time these two teams played, much like the Winnipeg-BC first meeting, right? BC, the amount of work they had to do to overcome the short fields, and some of it was work turnovers early, but the majority of it was the special teams gap. Um, You know, the the work that had to be done for them to win that game by a point, Nathan Rourke's going for 488 yards or whatever it was, um, 
And BC special teams has gotten somewhat better, but there's still a gap between the two teams there. And you couple that with the run defense, BC's going to have to get out to a lead in this one. And I know that isn't how it looked in the two victories in Calgary, but in this game, I believe BC is going to have to get out to a lead in order for the run D to not be a factor because nobody runs the ball like Calgary. And, uh, you know, and that includes Winnipeg. So uh, I, I think that's the tough part. Like if I was handicapping today, I would say, 35-32 Calgary. Yeah, I'd go with that too. I agree. Before I let you go, uh, a quick a prediction on the other one. Uh, Hamilton-Montreal. You uh, are you Montreal this way? Are you leading Montreal? I'm having a tough time with that one as well uh, because it's just a case of which Dane Evans we're going to see, right? Like, um, it, like, if Dane Evans played like he did in the second half against Calgary, if he played like he did you know, against uh, certainly Winnipeg in that victory, if we can get the best of Dane Evans, I think Hamilton's going to win the game because you know, they're they're trending, I think, in terms of their coaches and their game planning and their experience in that end. I think they've got the edge there. But in terms of actual roster right now, I you know, I do think Montreal's better and you kinda know what you're gonna get in terms of you know, like I just said, which day in Evans are you gonna get? Well you kinda know what Trevor Harris you're gonna get, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what you're gonna get with Geno Lewis. You know what you're gonna get with uh, with Will Standback. You know what you're gonna get in, in other areas, but I, I think I think there's a little more boom or bust, and if Dane Evans booms, I think Hamilton can win that game. And lastly, Farhan, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you your thoughts on the moves that were made or maybe weren't made here in Ryder Nation yesterday. Um, I agree with them. Uh, now, look, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Craig Dickinson. I think he's a good coach. I think people respect him. I think people like him. At least that's what I saw in 2019 and 2021. Um, you know, we've seen less of that. The locker room had some issues this year. He could have handled a few things differently this year. Um, you know, in terms of Jeremy O'Day, um, you know, like the O-line falls on him, right? Like yep. there's certain positions where they didn't have the depth. It falls on him. But for me, I just don't think one year is worth throwing it all out over. Uh, so, you know, they, they made some meaningful change in terms of the offensive staff. And, you know, we'll see who they bring in. We'll see what they bring in as quarterback. And the fact that they're not on, like if you, when you bring in somebody in, Ballsy, you've got to commit a number amount of term to them. Head coach and GM, you've got to commit term. It would be difficult to do that this year, given how the salary cap or the, uh, the football ops cap yeah. would affect that. So I think this is a smart decision. Give them a year. Don't give them an extension. Give them an opportunity to show this was the anomaly and, um, and see if you can get it right and give patience with a small P. And then, you know, like, a mistake would have been extensions, right? Yeah. But I think I think this is the right decision, and hopefully Saskatchewan fans can can hang on for better or worse here for a year. Well, enjoy the football this weekend. We will talk to you soon. Take care, bud. Thanks. Farhan Lalji joining us from TSN in Vancouver. When we come back, we're going to talk to a Pats goaltender, Drew Sim, here on the Sports Cage on 620 CK. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. We'll get to some of your texts in the 6 o'clock hour. Keep them coming at 936-6262. We've got a fired-up show. It's brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln. The text line, that is. The show's brought to you here at the corner of 12th and Rose in downtown Regina on this Wednesday by spreads.ca. Use the code CKRM, that promo code, and you'll be in the running for a bunch of different promos there at spreads.ca. All right, let's head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. We'll tell you right now, Penguins lead the Sabres 1-0 in the first. Maple Leafs have a 2-1 lead in the Flyers. 
end of the first period of play. Uh, joining me on the Western Pizza Hotline, Drew Sim, goaltender for your Regina Pats. How are you today, Drew? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. Um, have you practiced your autograph? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I've put some work into it over the years, so I think it's ready to go for tonight. Yeah, you got the uh, signing session from 7 to 9 over at the Brand Center with the team. You can pop on by there and get autographs from Drew and everybody else. Probably want, Is that Bedard signing anything? Uh, as far as I know, he will be there. Okay, so he'll I'm be. Sure I mean, everybody's there. Yeah, everybody's there to see Drew Sim, but they might wander over to see Bedard, right? <laughs> That's not what I've been hearing. <laughs> hey, what's it like to be 200 feet away watching that guy do his thing, or maybe 100 feet away as he takes the puck in neutral territory and goes down the ice? Uh, it's insanely fun to watch. Um, the things he does, even when uh, he gets frustrated or upset with himself, I think he elevates to another level in those situations, and the things you see him do are just uh, out of this world. So, how much does a guy like that, a guy like Tanner Howe, uh, those kind of guys, help you as a goaltender in practice every day? Uh, it's awesome just having those guys that uh, obviously Bedard a projected first overall pick, and then, uh, in my opinion, I see Howe as a first-round pick um, in his draft year, being able to have those guys shoot on you every day uh, does nothing but help. It's a crowded net at the start of the year. How's your year gone so far? I heard you've been pretty good. The games I've listened to, I haven't haven't been to any yet. I've hosted a show from there, but had to go do other things with family related stuff. But I have listened to the games with Dante DeCaria. How's your season gone so far, Drew? Uh good. Obviously, yeah, um, quite a few goalies at the start of the year, and uh, I think bringing in. Uh, fourth really helped uh, me have a good summer and gave me my last push to get where I need to be for this year. But uh, I'm feeling good about where I'm at and where my game's at and uh, couldn't be happier with the start to our season. What's the strength of your game, Drew? Um, using my size and playing positionally sound. Um, when I'm in position and uh, in the right position, sorry, um, I trust my ability to track the puck and uh, use my hands to make the save. Uh, you are six three two twelve. Am I right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. So, who did you uh, have? You always been a goalie. How did you get into being a goalie? Uh, I was not always a goalie. Um, I did not switch into full time goalie, anyways, until uh, my first year Pee Wee. So before that, I kind of flip flopped uh, in spring hockey, and I played um, obviously small town minor hockey. So. Our roster wasn't always the biggest, so I played a little bit of both there. But, um, yeah, I was kind of out of the blue when I chose to be a goalie, actually. What do you like best about being a goalie? Uh, probably just being that um, last safety valve. Um, there's always pressure on you as a goalie, and um, I feel I strive when there's pressure on. So to pretty much have it on all the time has just helped me. Are you calm by nature? Are you high-strung? Can you be high-strung as a goalie? Um, I personally am a calm goalie. I like to uh, kind of influence on a team that calm, cool, collected sort of mantra when it comes to uh, stressful times or whatever. I believe that part um, just helps the team kind of settle down and relax, and I believe that's a big part to uh, winning teams. And... I don't know. Everyone's different. Everyone has their ticks. So I've never really played with a high-strung goalie. So mm. 
I'm sure it's possible, though. So, Drew Sim, Pat's goalie. Guy scores on you, you turn around, you drink out of the water bottle. That's kind of what all the goalies do. What's running through your mind? Like, how do you wash that play away? What's going through your mind as you're sipping that water bottle while the while the music's playing in the visiting rink, so to speak? Uh, well, if it's a bad, if I don't like the goal or it's a bad goal, um, there's not very many good things going through my head. But <laughs> then, uh, yeah, and there's a couple bad words said to myself and about myself and then it's um right back to work because um i know most teams in this league when they score they're uh out for blood and they can smell blood so all that matters after that one goes in and the music stops is uh to get the next one so you're 6'3 uh 212 pounds as i said that's pretty big for a goaltender i had mike kelly from the nhl network on earlier this week and he was tracking more guys in the last year and a bit have been going like leon dreisaitl and i, I think mcdavid or uh, bedard could probably do this uh short side short side sharp angle you know what i mean like where where they they shoot on the short side on you and the sharp angle almost from the goal line are you noticing that because he was noticing big goalies like yourself taught to go down and block the bottom of the net so there's room up top are you more conscious of that oh yeah for sure um i think every year guys are uh finding ways to find holes in situations like that and uh, especially guys like bedard or jaeger for example um they have no problem picking those corners from the goal line. So, like you said, um, yeah, I most times I'll play that one down, but um, I always try and use my size to my advantage. Right, I'm I'm down, but uh, I know if I extend my torso, I can pretty much get my shoulder to where there's like a puck size of a hole up mm-hmm. in that spot. So, if you beat me with a shot like that in a hole that big, I'm that one's kind of just like, uh, you got it <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, how hard is it? Just take us through. I'm a mere mortal. I'm not drew Sim. Well, I'm, I'm five, eight, 168 pounds of twisted steel and fading sex appeal. Okay. 50 year old dude. Okay. I'll never be as good as you, but what's it like to try to track a shot when Bedard shoot uh, shoots it? Cause that's what I say. He shoots like he's an NHL pro already. Uh, yeah, I think I said it last year. Um, if you put him out on the ice in a shooting kind of practice with NHLers, um, I don't think there's many guys that he wouldn't compare to. So, um, and just all the different releases he has, um, you really got to be dialed into what his blades doing. Uh, depending on how close it is, it's, it's almost guessing with him. It's almost like hitting a baseball, almost right. It's kind of it's kind of what yeah. it, it's kind of what it is. Okay, so uh, you said you've been practicing writing autographs for years. When did you start? Know you're going to be doing autographs? Like when did you start? Oh, um, I don't know. I think I was. Uh, I think in grade four, um, instead of doing my schoolwork, I was. Uh, just sign a piece and piece of paper over and over again for my teacher when she left the room. So, um, hmm. so you I think it started then when I started practicing. Nice. So, how do you sign it? Is it D Sim? Is it Drew S? How do you do it so people know it's not forged tonight? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just uh, big D, and then the S kind of starts in the D and goes out into Sim, and then. Uh, Obviously put a 33 on it. Nice. I love it. That's great, man. Awesome. Well, it was great, too. I thought maybe you wrote Drew Sim 400 times on the chalkboard in Tease, Alberta, doing, line, doing like the lines that the teacher made you because you were bad. 
not quite, but I was pretty similar what I was doing, just signing a piece of paper with as many signatures as I could put on it. Awesome, man. Well, it's great to, uh, I'll say it's been great to listen to you play, but I'm looking forward to the football season's ending. I can spend more time at the ring. Thanks for your time. Hopefully you don't get a hand cramp tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care, Drew Sim, goaltender for your Regina Pats. When we come back, we are going to talk to Tyler Dunn. He's covered the Bills. He's covered the Packers. He's got a new book out about NFL tight ends. It's a really good chat. And we'll talk to Dean Coos, head coach of the Miller Marauders football team. This is the Sports Cage on 620. I love the smell of night come in the morning. This is where the fun begins. Six twenty CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Roughriders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host Michael Ball. All right, we got a neat guest now here on the Sports Cage on the show brought to you by Spreads.ca. This guy has covered the Buffalo Bills, beat writer for the Green Bay Packers. You can check him out at golongtd.com. Tyler Dunn, and he's got a new book out called The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. But I'll get into all that later, Tyler. Uh, you have a Saskatchewan Rough Riders sweatshirt. How the hell do you have that? <laughs> Who doesn't have one? There you go. There you go. There you go. That's the real question. Uh, Well, it's it's a sharp logo. It's a sharp team name. Um, I'm a huge Coulter Wall fan. Oh yeah, he's the best the best musician going. So there's a Saskatchewan uh, reference. I mean, I really that's when I write uh, these stories and wrote Blood and Guts. It was Coulter Wall in the ears and and Boney Bear as well. But man, that soothing Coulter voice, nothing beats it. Um, but to answer your question, actually, my brother is a scout for the Buffalo Sabres. So he did a ton of work out there, you know, running around chasing yeah. prospects and whatnot. So, yeah, he thought I'd like it. He picked one up, and I wear it all the time. That's awesome. Your brother getting a raise these days. The Sabres are actually off to a good start for a change. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I mean, he's been there from Darcy Regeer on through. So, uh, yeah, Austin's seen a little bit of everything uh, scouting for these Buffalo Sabres. It's looking good. It's like a, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. No. You know, we tend to get excited about little runs like this, but it feels real this time with the young talent they have. Well, as an Oiler fan, I can appreciate that. Okay, we'll get into the tight end book in a second here. You've covered Buffalo and Green Bay. That's interesting because kind of similar markets, right? Small, underappreciated, uh, I would think. Very, very similar. It's I, the best way I can put it is like the, the 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 town, the neighborhoods, everything takes on the personality of the team. So if the if the Packers are losing the playoffs and just crushing fashion to the San Francisco Forty ers or what have you, everybody's depressed, everybody's sad, everybody's down. It's palpable. I mean, and it's because then you have the seasonal depression on top of it. You know, it's not going to get warm until like June, and 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 Buffalo, same deal. When they're winning right now. And you can just feel it. Everybody's so dang excited around here. Um, there's hope in the air. Like, you know, I was just working at a coffee shop and, you know, they've got like Josh Allen's signed jersey up on the wall and yeah. everybody's everybody's just jacked up. So, 
Yeah, it, it, it's good now, but if they have another 13-second situation, uh, they will be the exact opposite. It'll yeah. be like it, like it was in Green Bay through all the, the playoff heartache. Yeah, you know, you've just described Saskatchewan and what it means to be a Ryder fan. Ryder Nation, when we win, everybody's spending money. The businesses are happy. When, uh, when, 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 when we're losing, we throw the dog outside for two days. You know what I mean? It's one of, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those. And it's flat, so you can see the dog run away for two or three days. Uh, Tyler, uh, this book is uh, obviously something that's uh, near and dear to your heart. How long did it take? First of all, how do you come up with the idea, the blood and guts, how tight ends save football? You know, I've always just loved the game. and It, it really starts with that pure love for real football, having played it, having watched it, having covered it. it, it, it you watch a game today, and I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm a little bit of an alarmist, but when Grady Jarrett just gently tackles Tom oh. Brady to the turf and gets a penalty, uh, when Chris Jones gets a flag for tackling a court, it's, it's just insane, and we've seen it a handful of times over, over the last five, ten years, and I don't know, it just feels like the NFL is seeking this middle ground that doesn't exist, this utopia of just, you know, that, that this is just the right amount of violence in a violent sport, um, it drives me nuts. It drives a lot of people nuts. So I got to thinking, all right, you know, got this pure love for football. What's the best way to tell that story? While, uh, while what we do love is kind of under attack and changing before our eyes. I mean, my God, if you're going to throw these flags, just make it touch football and be done with it, Roger. It's, it's, yeah. it's insane. Um, and, and the more you think about it, the more that, that NFL tight end is the game distilled to one position. You have to do everything. There's physical toughness. There's mental toughness. So I just kind of set off around the country to hang out with all these guys. Mike Dicka, Tony Gonzalez, George Kittle, Rob Gronkowski, Jeremy Shockey. Um, and then once I hung out with these guys, it, it kind of took on a life of its own. It became something that was even bigger than the tight end position. And, and I'd argue bigger than the game. I think when people read this book, um, they're going to learn a lot about the human condition, really. I became a Chargers fan because in Canada here when I was growing up, I'm older than you. I can already tell by your voice. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I only, We only got one NFL game a week up here. And the very first game I watched was in 1981 when I was nine years old. That's right, Tyler. I'm 50. And um, it was the 1982 play. <laughs> Playoff game, Chargers and Dolphins, and you watch Kellen Winslow do everything for the Chargers. So I, Kellen Winslow was my first favorite tight end, and oh. then and then Antonio Gates, the basketball player, they signed him for like seventy five hundred bucks, and he was an all timer. Ah, oh. well then this book is for you. It's for you. I mean, we we break that game down uh, in meticulous detail because really that that eighty one game, the epic in Miami when. It looked like Kellen Winslow was dying on a football field. I mean, that, that, that's really what catapulted the position to just a completely different stratosphere. That, that's when being an NFL tight end became something greater than, you know, blocking, catching. It, 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 you know, it had definitely made some incredible strides with Ditka, Mackey, Jackie Smith, Ozzie Newsome. But I, I really do think that the epic in Miami, because we all saw we all saw. I wasn't born for another six years. Um, the nation saw. Thanks, um, thanks, Tyler. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the nation saw what a guy could do and be multi-talented and everything like that. So in this uh, in this book and traveling across the country and meeting all these guys, uh, Gonzalez, Kittle, Ditka, Shockey, was there one, uh, uh, without giving too much away, was there one uh, eyebrow-raising story or an interesting nugget that made you go, oh, yeah, it was worth writing this book? 
Oh my God, hell yeah! It, it happened again and again. I, I really feel like if you're going to do a pro- project like this, take on a project like this, you've got to hang out with these guys in their element. You've got to be face to face. It can't be a research based book. It can't be a phone call based book. I really wanted to kind of get get the boots on the ground, so to speak, and, and hang out with Jeremy Shockey right at the bar, right? That's where Jeremy Shockey <laughs> tends to be in his, his element. Um, whether it's getting into bar fights back in the day or at the U, you know, fighting fighting folks there with the New York Giants. I mean, he lived like there was no tomorrow. He played like there was no tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, it was really every tight end I kind of hung out with had some epic stories. I mean, to keep it there on Shockey, it's, whew, it's I think it, people will – will have their minds blown a little bit by his impact really on the position where he attacked life the same way he attacked the field and vice versa. Like there was no tomorrow. He's going to go have himself a good time. But guess what? If he, if he's out there drinking and partying and, you know, maybe picking up a girl or two, <laughs> he's almost going to punish himself in the middle of the night um, by banging out like a hundred pushups or sit-ups. Like, he, it, it's weird. In his head, he had this just maniacal work ethic that I think kind of got clouded uh, with all the TMZ stuff or the back page stuff as it was back then, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could you could tell that it, it it was different for its time, right? I mean, if he called Tom Coughlin an a-hole publicly, he didn't apologize for it. No. His teammates the next that day would say, hey, why are you doing that, Jeremy? And he said, oh, First Amendment, it's a free country. You know, that's it. You know, I believe in that, and he just walk away. Um, you couldn't do that now. Yeah, you couldn't do that now. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, Tyler. Hey, you, you couldn't, but Rob Gronkowski, like that's some yeah. drunk. You know, he, drunk, he looked yeah. up to Shockey. Like this was his hero. Yeah. So a good even point. though Shockey's not on the Hall of Fame, and he never did get that gold jacket, he was very, very good. Never like exceptional statistically. His impact on the game itself, I think people are going to find out, was so much greater than anybody knew. What was Ditka's impact on the game? I mean, he created the tight end position itself. Before Mike Dicka, you had split ends, you had ends, and and that was that. I mean, the end, you blocked, maybe you, you ran a few yards, you caught a pass, and you fell down. Uh, <laughs> Mike Dicka, you know, Mike Dicka was really the one who cr- created the position itself because he was so good. Him and John Mackey both, coaches and players needed to differentiate between ends and split ends and they couldn't just call this player an end it had to be a tight end because this guy is is dynamic right i mean this we, we've got to call this something other than the split end to differentiate and i, I think though you know beyond the x's and o's and beyond luke johnson's his offensive coordinator showing him how to get a two-way release by lining up just a few yards off of the tackle it, it was him being an apex predator it was him yeah. you know making the field his domain and if anybody cheap shot at him, if Ray Nitschke clotheslined Mike Dicka, he made a mental note of it, and he got him back. He always got his vengeance. And, you know, you fast forward a few generations, and that's how Jeremy Shockey played. And then that's how Rob Gronkowski and George Kittle played. They, they all kind of had that edge to them that you needed that tight end position. I really think that that, 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 that snarl, that gnarly style of play, that helped define the game as much as anything. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Last uh, point with you, Tyler, uh, Dunn. Um, the NFL is almost unwatchable this year. Do you not feel that way? It's like it, yeah. there are a lot of bad football games. I totally agree. I, it's very watered down. It's just you've got, what, three good teams, three great yeah. teams, and then 
everybody else can kind of convince themselves that they're contenders, or you could say they're a pretender. They they might <laughs> they might win one or two games the rest of the year. I don't know. It, it's yeah, it's the kind of parody the NFL wants. I guess they want everybody to have a, a glimmer of hope to make the playoffs. But I'm with you. It's it just isn't that 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 appealing to watch. I think it is. The fact that, uh, yeah, I mean, there's those two deep safeties taking away the big play. Schematically, defenses just go out of their way to eliminate the deep ball. So that makes it less fun to watch, right? It's a lot of 15-play drives to kind of work your way down the field. And I just think a lot of it is this, the, the the NFL trying to siphon that physicality out of the game. I mean, if a defensive player is terrified of getting fined tens of thousands of dollars, that's going to – Dull down their their style, their play. And I, I, part of me gets it. Nobody wants to see you know Blake Bortles in a Super Bowl or you know name your backup <laughs> quarterback over the years. Chase Daniel. Yeah, they want to keep the stars healthy, but I feel like you know to get kind of bring it full circle. Yeah, you, you got to remember what what the game is. There's an inherent risk. These guys know what they're getting into when they step on the field. And I mean, ask ask somebody like Ben Coates. We hung out for this book. He's hurting like hell. I mean, he missed two games over a decade. One because his mother died. The other because he had a high ankle sprain and probably should have kept him out two months. He missed one game. Does he regret I mean, playing? Does he regret playing? He doesn't regret one thing. He he needs people to drive him around. He can't walk upstairs. At least he couldn't when we were talking. He doesn't regret a thing. He loved every second of it. He'd do it again. I think what the, the good the game brings um, to, to so many of these guys, it, it's worth it. It's worth it. I just wish the NFL would own what it is. Just, just be honest with yes, us. Yes, 100%. Don't tell us, you know, don't tell us an unsafe game is safe. It's, it's not safe, and that's okay. Well, nobody says UFC is safe. Who says, you know, we've made the UFC safer? No, that's why we're watching. And everybody that plays, I have a kid playing right now, a 20-year-old son. You know what you sign up for. It's not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. Yep. So, yeah. I totally agree. It's no it's, if they need to look at it, look at the product through that UFC prism. It's you know, I'm a big Adam Carolla fan. I, he always puts it best. Society's moving toward octagons and safe spaces. You know, it's like these two extremes, right? We either are offended by everything and want to live in a bubble or we want to get into the octagon and, you know, rock climb and jump out of air. And it's kind of like the NFL has always been one extreme, but they they don't want to tick off the other extreme. They see everybody going that other direction, and they want to convince everybody, no, 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 it's safe. We're doing our part. Um, I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying that everybody needs to be cannibals out there. Obviously, there's a line, but when you know it, you kind of know it, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It, you know, it's just it's gone too far, and the overcorrection has kind of made the game worse. I think. Tyler Dunn at GoLongTD.com, pardon me, and his book, The Blood and Guts, How Tight End Save Football, is out now. Amazon.com, probably at your favorite bookstore. It's outstanding. I'm going to get it tonight. Thanks for your time, Tyler. Hey, thank you, man. Really enjoyed it. Would love to do it again. And I got to check out some Rough Rider action, man. I got to be a true fan. I got time to step it up. Uh, that's right. Unfortunately, we're out of the playoffs now, but our Grey Cup, our Super Bowl is coming up here in, in three weeks right here in our city. We're the host, so you can check it out probably. Heck yeah. Hey, there's always next year, right? Yes. Get after next absolutely. Year. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. A calm. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Okay, we talked about uh, this to start the show. It was wacky right from the start. 
Had Jeff Hamilton on, Winnipeg veteran sports writer. Worked for CBC at the time, Winnipeg Free Press, now independent. Covers the Bombers, covers the Jets. And as soon as I got him off the air, he put out a tweet a couple minutes later saying that he saw that multiple sources reporting the CFL gave teams the uh, the wrong list of divisional all-stars and will be sending out a new list. Word is the results were calculated incorrectly and there will be multiple changes to the original. So, voting 2.0 for the all-star awards. Now, I've done some digging and <laughs> I w- I'm not going to give you any... I know of a couple of changes and all I want to say is this. Suppose... Somebody is an all-star, and then they're not an all-star, and then somebody else becomes an all-star, because that's going to that's going to be a ca- the case. I know that for a fact in two situations. So <laughs> somebody was a short-lived all-star, and now somebody else will be an all-star. So uh, just the way that it is. Um, so there you go. Um, I I said, don't give me a ballot. Like, the, but it was ridiculous. Calgary gave up the fewest sacks. They had no offense, and, and had the leading rusher. They had no offensive lineman as all stars. Okay, Malik Henry had a great year as a receiver. I picked him as an all star. Not saying I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Actually, I am. Anyway, he wasn't an all star. Kean Schaefer Baker was an all star. Uh, congratulations to him. Um, Mario Alford, the Western nominee for the Outstanding Special Teams player, yet he's not an all-star. Janarian Grant of the Bombers got it. Uh, who's the guy from uh, the Argos? Uh, at a Boboye got the all-star special teams player out of the uh, out of the East. Chandler Worthy was the Eastern nominee for special teams player of the year. He wasn't an all-star. Uh, Darnell Sankey, 120 tackles to go along with other stats, was not an all-star, but Adam Big Hill was. I picked Sankey and um, Judge as my all, all-star all linebackers. My coverage backer, I did pick Derek Moncrief. Four interceptions. He had to go against the other team's top receivers. He wasn't an all-star. So... Who knows who's going to be an all-star? By tomorrow morning when I do the sports on 620 CKRM, we should know definitively who the all-stars are. Maybe. Keyword should. Yeah, that's right, Colson. I want to thank Colson Schultz for stepping in for Sean Kleisiger. He's going through some health things. He'll be back by the end of the month, early next month, hopefully. Get well, Sean. I know he's listening to the show. Um, And what else can we tell you about? Oh, you can listen to the podcast later when Colson puts it up. We are going to have Jeff Hamilton on, as I talked about. We'll hear from Mason Nias, Jeff Heck with his heroes and zeros. We'll uh, hear from Luke Molitor, an epic rant. Rob Vanstone, talking riders. We're going to get him on to talk hockey uh, tomorrow or Friday. Farhan Lalji, Drew Sim, the Pats goalie. They got an autograph session going down 7-9 to nine today at the Brand Center. So when you're done listening to the sports cage, you get yourself a coffee, go get an autograph from your favorite Regina Pats. Some Bedard kids signing them. I'm sure they'll be worth something someday. I don't know. Uh, we just heard Tyler Dunn, former Packer and Bills uh, beat writer. Well, he's a Packer beat writer. Now he's with the Bills. 
And he has uh, also got uh, a book out about tight ends and one he wrote about Charles Barkley. We'll get into that the next time he's on the show. Tomorrow, Dean Coos, Miller Marauders coach, going for back-to-back city and provincial high school football championships. They will, or He's going to uh, join us tomorrow. Uh, we'll hear from Glenn Suter, uh, probably Bob Stoffer, maybe Rob Vanstone again if he takes my call again. We punted him early. Yeah, great. And Arash Madani. Great show lined up. Plenty of happening on this show, the number one sports show in the province. And if you want to talk CFL football or amateur football, there's no other show in the country that does it like this show. 620 CKRM in the sports cage. Coming up, we got our radio auction helping a lot of great businesses and you too with some great deals coming up here on 620 CKRM. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKR.